What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by Immaculate Sports. Twitter is Immaculate Sports. Max Sports, excuse me. Yeah. It's also Max Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 178, the Super Bowl 58 preview show. Going through all the positions and, uh, and a little summary of that, a little prediction for the big game on Sunday. And also some other stuff, too, of course. Fill the time. Yeah, our full in-depth preview of the Super Bowl that's going on on Sunday. And then going over a lot of the coaching hires that we saw and ranking all eight of the different coaching hires that we saw in the 2024 NFL coaching carousel. I'll get it started with my opener where I'm talking about a Kansas City team. Not the Chiefs, so I'm going to the Royals and what they've done this offseason, and especially this past week with signing Bobby Witt to an 11-year, $288 million contract. It could go up to $377 million over 14 years with a club option in those last three years. But Bobby Witt will be in Kansas City for that, at least the next 11 years. And looking at what that team has done in that franchise, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And as an Ace fan, it's really fun to watch to see another small market team thrive. They obviously got a stadium coming up in the near future with uh, with that. And then they got their pillar, their star, who's going to lead them there, and Bobby Witt Jr. And they've also made a ton of different moves this offseason and spending money. And that's exactly what you want to see from these small market teams. They got Michael Walker, Seth Lugo, Will Smith, who has won quite three straight World Series now at this point. Nick Anderson, who has had some good moments back when he was with the Rays. Chris Stratton, who's bounced around, but been a good reliever. They added Adam Brazier, Garrett Hampson, Renfro. Of course, they got Witt. They got uh, Pasquantino coming back from an injury last year, and Salvador Perez as well, too. I don't think this Royal team is going to do anything and make the playoffs, but I absolutely love what they've been doing this offseason and spending some money. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to start winning a bunch of games, but it's always good to see them spend money. I agree. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, we talked a little bit about that with Baltimore. That's a little scarier version of that. But I'm going to go with some some NFL news for my opener that I don't think anyone was expecting to see. Uh, Week one, Friday night, the Eagles will be playing in Brazil for the first time ever. Shocker. Maybe they were having a soccer tournament uh, the other weeks of the season, so they had to do it in week one. But, um, you know, I I guess this would technically be a home game for the Eagles since we already know that the Eagles are going to be in it. So I was doing some research. It could be any of the divisional opponents, of course, Jacksonville or Green Bay. So we could have another sick opener to the season like uh, the Kansas City-Detroit one was last year. Yes, I guess it's cool in the fact that we'll get Thursday night football, Friday night football, and obviously Sunday. And then usually we get a doubleheader as well on Monday yeah. night that first week too. So more football, the better, I guess, you know. It's kind of weird. It's happening in Brazil. Are they? I assume they're playing in Rio, right? I think so. I don't know any other cities in Brazil, <laughs> so it's got to be Rio, I guess. Anyways, we'll move on for Brazilian football, and we're talking about Las Vegas football or a game that's going to happen in Las Vegas in the Super Bowl on Sunday. We know the two teams in it, the Niners and the Chiefs. Niners are currently one-and-a-half-point favorites according to ESPN bets, over-under at 47-and-a-half. 
we're talking about it all. We're talking about the position groups, the coaches. Then we'll get into our score prediction, what we think is going to happen in the game. Before we get into, you know, comparing the position groups and whatnot, any, anything that you want to say about this game that, that's on your mind? I, too, it, it, the biggest thing for me right now, every single night over the past week, when I'm about to fall asleep, I go, oh, God. I don't know if I can bet against Patrick Mahomes, man. <laughs> so I'm excited to to actually make my pick officially here in a minute. Yeah, I will say there's been one thing that's pissing me off of this Super Bowl, and it happened in media day. I saw an NFL post about it like three or four times. I don't know if you saw it because you don't really use social media as much. You probably saw it on Twitter, but it's a selfie taken by Patrick Mahomes that has Brock Purdy Chris Jones, Fred Warner, and uh, Scott Hansen, or whatever, the guy that does Red Zone. Yeah. I'm like, why the fuck are they taking selfies and smiling in this? These dudes are going to be playing one of the biggest games of their life within you know the week. Why, why the fuck are they on the stage together smiling? I agree. Like, I, I did it. not see that. I don't know. They shouldn't be doing that. Wow. Uh, I, I know we've we seen Kittle and Kelsey have some stuff in the past Super Bowl that they played against each other, but. After know. the game, guys. Yeah, after, uh, not even after the game. You guys should hate each other, honestly. <laughs> anyway, we're getting to the position. position groups and coaches. We have, I don't even know how many different groups. We have quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight end, O line, D line, linebackers. DBs, special teams, coordinators, and head coaches. Skyler, we'll start off with the uh, the quarterback. Obviously, we know who who's the better one, but what do you say about this matchup the, between Mark Purdy and Patrick Mahomes? So I think Kansas City is on the board first with this one. The future Hall of Famer, Patrick Mahomes. He's now played in 17 playoff games for his career. That's a full season now. 14-3 and three record, 39 touchdowns, 7 picks, and 2 Super Bowl rings. Until Brock Purdy can get this thing done, I don't think there's any argument here. Yeah, obviously there isn't going to be anybody saying that Brock Purdy's better than Patrick Mahomes, but to see it be, I wouldn't say close, but kind of close, is pretty remarkable to, to say how good of a season that Brock Purdy's had. So we'll move on to the running back position. And it's kind of the exact same position here, except flip-flop with Christian McCaffrey and Isaiah Pacheco at the running back position. Yeah, I do think it's McCaffrey here. A theme you're going to see watching San Francisco in this game is how many skill players that always have a pair of eyes on them every play. There's only 11 on the field, so uh, the eyes don't add up there. Someone's going to get open. Um <laughs> Whether it's it's him actually getting the ball or or him just going in motion or him on a play action, he's more valuable than Pacheco is in this kind of game. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, I don't think anybody's going to be saying Pacheco is better than CMC. But you also have to talk about how good he's been this year and the emergence that they've had from their seventh round pick from last year as well, too. So to see Pacheco doing what he's doing, starting in this offense and looking for a second Super Bowl in two years. Pretty remarkable, but then again, one of the league's top players, Christian McCaffrey's on the other side. He scores damn near every single game. You obviously got to give this side to San Francisco. Moving on to the wideouts, the wide receivers. 
on the San Francisco side, the three main guys, of course, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings. And on, on Kansas City, they got about seven different guys that they can go to, but their main I'll, – I'll, I'll go seven according to their ESPN depth chart. is Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson, Kadarius Toney, MVS, McCole Hardman, Richie James, and Sky Moore. I think we know who we who has the edge here, but well, what are your thoughts on this position group? Yeah, it's it's going to be San Francisco again. They have two superstars here: Ayuk in the vertical game, Samuel in the horizontal game. Kansas City doesn't really have any superstars at this position. You know, Rishi Rice seems to be the only wideout that they have any faith in. Uh, you mentioned Tony. I doubt he even suits up for this one based on how crazy he's been the past couple of weeks. Um, San Francisco's definitely got more options that they believe in. Yeah, uh, it's obviously going to be the San Francisco side. They, they got two all pro slash pro bowl guys and Debo and Brian Ayuk. And then a guy who's made a ton of big catches for them over the course of his career in Jawan Jennings on the Kansas City side. I know you're not looking at, you know, Justin Watson, Kadarius Tony, McCall Hardman now at this point in his career as, you know, big time playmakers, but they got guys that have came up big for them so far this season. And while early part of the year, those guys are making mistakes, these past five to six, seven games, they've been winning them games. You saw MBS have that big catch against the Ravens to seal the deal. And Rasheed Rice, I know he's not a thousand yard receiver quite yet, but he will be at some point in his career. He's going to have seasons where he has. A thousand plus yards. Actually, he might have even gotten to a thousand yards this year. I don't think so, though. Anyway, I think that guy's a stud. He's going to have a great career. But as of right now, just rookie. 938. Wow. So just short. But, uh, I like to see that. Anyways, right in. This one's probably the, one of the closest matchups that we've seen. This has been a debate for. Multiple years, even going back before their first Super Bowl meeting, Travis Kelsey versus George Kittle. I guess you could throw in the backup guys as well, too. Charlie Warner, Noah Gray, Blake Bell. What are your thoughts on this position? I'm going to give the edge here to Travis Kelsey. Uh, He's definitely lost a step. uh, Like we've talked about on here a couple of times, he's definitely closer to retirement than anyone expected before the season started because of how amazing he had been before that. But he also may be the only tight end in the league here who can single-handedly carry an offense in a playoff game. Um, you know, which Kelsey are we going to get? The guy who broke all of Jerry Rice's records last week, always open in the red zone, or the guy who dropped five passes in Denver? The guy who couldn't get open in Vegas? Um, it's going to all come down to Travis Kelsey, in my opinion. Kittle's just going to do what he does. Yeah, when you talk about defined role for for the players. I think it's it's pretty clear to see that Kelsey means more in the Kansas City offense than what George Kittle does. But if you if you ended the season if you were asking me this question three, four weeks ago, I, I think I would have been hesitant more uh, to say Kittle because Kelsey was just having a bad regular season. Like you said, he drops in Denver upset in that Christmas game against the Raiders. He's had a bad year, but you look at those past two games and it's just like he's, he's 25 again and he's making plays. You know, when Mahomes was a rookie and second, third year guy, and I don't want it to be. Moving on to the O line, another position group that's actually pretty close on both sides. 
Yeah, uh, at this point, it's it's kind of up to preference. So uh, I'll kind of explain my process here. I wanted to look at some of the advanced numbers because I I hadn't looked at O-line PFF at all this season. They had Kansas City 14, San Francisco 15. I'm going to take San Francisco uh, because they have far less penalties this year. The Kansas City big three in the interior may be better, but if San Francisco is only rushing four, Trent Williams doesn't hold five times a game like Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith have. I trust the San Francisco tackles more than I trust Kansas City's. And that's where the edges, edge pressure is going to come from, the edge, right? Yeah. When you look at the names in this group and, you know, as far as recognizable names going, offensive linemen, Kansas City's got a lot of dudes. Joe Thune, Creed Humphrey, Jawan Taylor, I feel like are all dudes that most football fans know. Trey Smith has stepped up a ton since he's been drafted a few years ago. But with no Joe, Thun- Joe Thune in the Super Bowl, I'm going off the line. Again, this one is, is so close, man. Chris Jones and George Karloftis have been un- – sorry, Karlaftis, he said, mm-hmm. is how he prefers. My apologies, sir. Uh, they've been unblockable this postseason. But I'm going with San Francisco again. You know, San Francisco has so much depth on the D-line. Bosa's going to get his one-on-one opportunities. Chase Young is a freak waiting to break out again. Hargrave and Armstead are immovable forces. It's just a better all-around unit than Kansas City, even though they may have the superstars. Yeah, I expected this to be closer than what I thought it did. I, I was looking at this Kansas City group, and I saw Karlaftis, Chris Jones, a couple other guys that, that make some impact on there as well, too, in there, but... You look at the SF side and Chase Young, who had a shitty postseason, but still a damn good talent. Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa, Randy Gregory, Javon Kinlaw. Spatula Spade doesn't play much or, or nearly at all, but still, you know, a, a good bet in there. It's got to be a tough. And honestly, I don't think it's that close. Linebacker. Yeah, uh, San Francisco, three in a row, man. Uh, I, once again, how great have Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil been stepping up after the injuries uh, in the front seven, especially in the playoffs? But it's San Francisco. Fred Warner and Greenlaw, they have the ability to take the ball away no matter which offense is lined up across from them. They're not just solid like Kansas City guys. These guys are game changers and they're killers every night. Yeah, I, I don't want to sleep on the Kansas City linebackers because those guys, those guys don't really get a ton of respect. Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Drew Tranquil, like you said, some really damn good players, but they're not Fred Warner. They're not Fred Dre Greenlaw. And really, whatever guy you're throwing in there as a third guy, Oren Burks or yeah. past years Aziz Shair, who we know is a legend yeah. in, our, in our minds. But uh, it's got to be SF. They, they have two pivotal game changers at one of the most important positions on defense. So Kansas City's finally going to grab one here. Uh, Trent McDuffie and Mooney Ward were all pros, but San Francisco has way more question marks everywhere else. The Hufunga injury has been tough. The uncertainty at the cornerback number two spot, um, even though Kansas City uh, was, what were they, number one or number two? It, either way, you know they finally grab a, a winning spot here in the defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'm going to answer the other DBs as well, too. The corner tandem of Jerry Sneed, Trent McDuffie is really damn good. And to say that, that with how young these dudes are, it's pretty crazy. 
let's, let's give some some honor to Chiverius Ward, Mooney Ward, who's had a great season. J.R. Brown, who stepped up for the loss of Talanoa Hufunga. Tayshawn Gibson, who's been a good vet over there. And then D'Amador Lenore, Ambry Thomas, guys who have made plays for the Niners over the course of the season. But they're not that Kansas City group. If there's one spot on the defense that I got to give to Kansas City, it has to be DB. Bit of an interesting one here. Special teams. Yeah, um, I'm going to give this one to Kansas City. Um, basically because Moody misses kicks, Bucker doesn't. I understand that's not all of special teams, but I don't really mm-hmm. think we need to get into gunners and long snappers to figure this one out. Um, I trust Kansas City to get the job done with a minute left. You know. Yeah, uh, I debated this by if it's a 50-yard field goal or say any length of field goal, and I want Bucker or Moody out there to win me the Super Bowl, it has to be Bucker. And that's not even any shade on Moody. I know he's made some big kicks. Also, missed a few kicks this year. But Harrison Bucker's been one of the best like postseason kickers of all time now at this point. And I don't think he – I want to say he hasn't missed or something like that in certain circum- – is like under 50 or something like that in the last like four years in the playoffs. But regardless, Harrison Bucker – is a guy I would trust more than Jake Moody to win me a Super Bowl if it came down to a kick. Like this. And then an interesting look on this next one, coordinators. Obviously, the OCs on both sides, you can kind of just look at Reed and Shanahan, but we're talking more defensively here. It's a bit easier to see that way. Uh, Steve Wilkes, Steve Spagnolo. what do we think there? Yeah, I feel like you're going to have to go with Spagnolo here. Um and I, I did include something about Matt Nagy just because he, he's been there for a long time. Steve Spagnuolo, not necessarily in Kansas City, but around the league for a long time. They've been so consistent on defense in the NFL. And, you know, it's not San Francisco's fault that McDaniel and Floor, Sala, D'Amico Ryans, they all left for better opportunities. That's the reality in the NFL. But when it comes down to the X's and O's, I'm going with Andy Reid's staff, man. Yeah, I'm picking Andy Reid's staff as well, too. Especially when it comes down to Spagnuolo, the way that they just game plan for Lamar Jackson and how they attacked it was so spot on, and one of the only ways that you can beat that guy. And it just felt like the Ravens didn't have a chance in that game at certain points, based off of what Kansas City was doing on defense. Niners, I mean, their defense has had some moments, especially you know later in games, but. Game, the Lions game, the way that they kind of got spread up schematically in some parts of that game was pretty evident. So uh, I'm going Spags and the rest of the Kansas City coordinators. Head coach, Shannon Andy Reid, two great ones. One looking for his first Super Bowl, the other one looking for his fourth, right? Yeah. yeah. Wait, no. No, Peterson got the one in Philly. Yeah. 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 So th- third Super Bowl for Andy Reid, perhaps, or first for Shanahan. What do you think there? This one was really tough for me, man. Um, at the end of the day, I had to look up the the head-to-head numbers. Andy Reid's never lost to Kyle Shanahan. Uh, this was probably the closest one for me, um, based on all the positions we talked about today. And this one's not really a position on the field, but it's probably the most important one at the end mm. of the day. Because they can both find offensive success despite bad weather, injuries, change in personnel, other shit. 
whatever, probably the top two play callers in the NFL. So this one's going to be awesome to watch, but I'm going with Andy Reid. Never lost to him yet. Yeah. Two, two of the most fun minds to, to watch work in football, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. And I can understand an argument for Shanahan, but how can you not put Andy Reid here? He, he's got the Super Bowls, like you said, hasn't lost to Shanahan yet. It's got to be Big Red, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And now we're down to it together. The score prediction. What do you have? I have the Niners winning. Yeah. <laughs> Niners 27 to 24. Okay. The Niners are a better team. They're a better overall team. We just went through all the positions. They had more spots. This was always supposed to be their year at the end of the day. And I expect them to score enough. So Mahomes doesn't have the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win. However, an early lead is the most important thing here. Pound McCaffrey throughout the third quarter and then hit him with the dagger, the play action deep shot down the seam. Kansas City does score late to make things interesting, but you already had that big lead. So you just got to recover that onside kick and it's all good. I got Christian McCaffrey winning the MVP, 130 yards, two touchdowns. And a home run shot early on to silence that Vegas crowd. Oh, okay. Uh, here's here's how I'm going to walk through it. I, I don't think I've picked against the Niners in a specific game this entire year. Maybe that game in Philly would have been one. But besides that, I can't remember a single time where I thought they were going to lose a game going into it. The games didn't I, I thought they were going to lose a lot of games. Uh, late in the season, the game against Buffalo, the game against Baltimore. So it put me in a dilemma where do I just keep on picking against Kansas City and, and ride with San Francisco? Or do I pick Kansas City and throw the complete mojo off and, and change the paradox, whatever it is? As much as I want San Francisco to win, I feel against Mahomes. I did it last Super Bowl. I picked Philly. It didn't work. It lost me a lot of money. Picked Buffalo, like I said. Picked Baltimore, like I said. And I have to pick Kansas City here, unfortunately, as much as I want them to lose. Score prediction, I have 27 to 26. So very close score prediction to you. Like I, like you said, close game. It'll be extremely fun to watch. Comes down to, you know, recovering an onside kick at the end of the game would be fine, or, you know, game winning field goal. It's just so damn hard to pick against Mahomes and be wrong every single time. So, for the sake of maybe being right for once, I'm picking Kansas City. And then Super Bowl MVP will be Patrick Mahomes as well, too. Probably throws for 300 yards, two or three touchdowns, and probably runs for like 45, 50 yards as well, too. All right. I did see something. Skyler, pretty dumb tweet, but I guess it's fun to talk about. The last three Super Bowls on CBS have been bad Super Bowls. We saw the Cam Newton, Peyton Manning Super Bowl that I was at your house for, which the Broncos won 24 to 10. We saw the uh, Jared Goff versus 
Tom Brady, Super Bowl 13-3, pretty rough game. I think we'll probably watch that game together as well, too. Johnny Hecker, for Super Bowl MVP, was yeah. a title of one of our group chats for a long time. And then we saw Kansas City versus Tampa Bay, which, of course, we know who won that one with Tom Brady and the Bucks game. Their Super Bowl there. And it made me think about if there was going to be a blowout in this game, who would blow out who? I think it's, I think for me it's a pretty easy answer of SF. I don't think I see a scenario where the Niners just get absolutely dog walked, but I can see a scenario where Mahomes gets stopped early, the Niners offense scores three straight touchdowns out of the gate and it's over. Are you with me on that? Or are you thinking something else? Yeah, I I definitely agree. I could see this playing out how possibly the Tampa Bay, Kansas City game played out um they thought that the o-line and the receivers were good enough because they got them here but these the super bowl is just a different animal man sometimes you just aren't as ready as you thought you were and san francisco is not going to make that mistake again in my opinion if they lose it's going to be close yeah i know that was not our script or anything but that's something i saw earlier today that i just i wanted to throw out there Anyways, we'll move on to the coaching hires. The two that we saw this past week was Dan Quinn to the Washington Commanders and Mike McDonald going to the Seattle Seahawks. We'll talk about McDaniel or McDonald first. We got a Mike McDaniel and a Mike McDonald in the league, which is kind of crazy. But uh, what do you think about McDonald? Hire the youngest head coach in all of football now. Yeah, I like this one a lot for Seattle. Uh, everywhere Mike McDonald has gone, the defense has been elite from Georgia and Michigan back to the NFL with the Ravens. It's similar to Raheem Morris here uh, in Atlanta with Seattle. This team has lost their identity. They obviously missed the Legion of Boom days. Like you said, McDonald is now the youngest head coach in the league. Um, change of, of basically everything that Pete Carroll has been doing there, uh, which isn't always a bad thing. And um, he should be able to put together a great staff. He's connected to a lot of great programs. And they're in a division where you got to get rolling pretty soon or you're going to get fired. Yeah. I like this house as well, too. Uh, like you mentioned, I think it's going to grade pretty high on my ranking of head coach hires when we do that in a few minutes. But uh, 36 years old, but like I said, youngest head coach in the NFL, been the DC for. Baltimore and in, at Michigan over the last three years before being the DC at Michigan for one year, he was in Baltimore for, you know, six, seven years before that as a linebackers coach, DB's coach, defensive assistant, and an intern. So he's, he's worked his way up from the bottom. He didn't, you know, get the silver spoon of just walking into a good program and being the OC right away or something like that. He's, he's worked his way up and I like what he does, man. You look at that Baltimore defense and football offense that they on right now has, you know, your ranks or, you know, your defensive ranks for a team that you, you look at the 2023 20, Baltimore defense, it's one, 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 and this, first and that, first and this. So he built a good group. Uh, obviously, going from defensive coordinator to head coach is a big jump because you got to be. You know, not just schematic for guys. You got to be there as a head coach and as a mentor and as a leader. And it's something that we've seen a lot of great coordinators just not be able to handle. 
especially for young guys, but I think McDonald's got it. And I, I think it's a home run hire for, for Seattle. What do I think? When? So uh, obviously this isn't Ben Johnson like they wanted, uh, but that's a whole nother story about him not trusting the new ownership, but this is what we got in Washington. Okay. He's had a history of winning, but he kind of just is meant to be a DC. I will say that hiring Cliff Kingsbury to help whoever's going to be their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, uh, is a good start because Dan Quinn's going to have a short leash. And uh, if you look at the Panthers next season, you don't want to end up like that. Protect your franchise quarterback. Spend all the assets on the offense and let Dan Quinn just get the defense going naturally because that's the only way this is going to work. Yeah, this is an interesting hire. We uh, talked on the pod a few weeks ago how Ben Johnson just felt like a pencil in for the commander's job, and then the Lions get eliminated. He says that he's staying in Detroit, and Dan Quinn gets hired nearly immediately after. I, I look mainly at his tenure in Atlanta when he was a head coach there. Obviously went to the Super Bowl, lost 28-3 lead. We all know all about that. Next year went 10-6. and six. Went to the playoffs, won a game in the playoffs, and lost after that, and then had a couple disappointing seasons after that as well, too. Went to Dallas immediately after, I want to say. And, yep, immediately after. Spent three years as a D.C. We know that the Denver defense has had some some good moments. But I look at this player as a head coach, and it just doesn't fit what the commanders are trying to do as a team. Uh, I think the commanders were in a spot where they could kind of just freshly rebuild. They didn't really have any crazy ties to any quarterback or any crazy contractual obligations. And it felt like a spot where a guy could go in there and just kind of reset everything and build everything on his own. And Dan Quinn doesn't give off that vibe because they're going to need a quarterback. They're going to need to build a ton on the offense. I know they're going to need to build just as much, if not more on the defense I feel like we've got to start with the offense for this stuff. So I don't like it, especially when you just fired Ron Rivera. And I'm not saying Ron Rivera is a good coach at this point in his career, but Dan Quinn's just the white Ron Rivera. That's all he is. So fuck it. Uh, I give it like a four out of 10, okay. maybe less, two out of 10, three out of 10. But uh, I don't like this hire. I'll say that. Anyway. What are you talking about Dan Quinn and Mike, or yeah, Mike McDonald. I'm gonna be fucking that up for a long time. In a minute, but uh, we can get into the ranking of these head coach hires. We had eight over this this uh, past carousel. There's Mayo, AP, Harbaugh, Callahan, Quinn, Morris, Canales, and McDonald. I guess we'll, I guess we'll start from the bottom, Skyler. Who do yeah. you rank as your number eight coaching hire? At the bottom, I have Gerard Mayo, New England. Uh, trust me, I'm not just hating on my rival. Uh, this guy really hasn't proved anything. I guarantee you Bill and Steve Bilicek called all the shots on the defense. So there's no reason for me to trust him yet. I put Dan Quinn at eight. Like I said, it just doesn't fit what Washington should be doing with their, their roster and what they have going on right now. So Dan Quinn goes in the eighth spot. Number seven. Number seven is where I have Dan Quinn. Uh, we just talked about him a long time. Uh, things could go horribly wrong here and he's not really in control of this rebuild because he doesn't coach the offense like we were talking about. Number seven, I put Gerard Mayo. 
like you said, he doesn't really have the kind of experience that you would want for a head coach. He was a great player, don't get me wrong, two-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champ, all pro, all this stuff. That's a play of Steve Belichick that was, and he's, he's not on that staff anymore. He's over there in Washington, so he's going to be having to deal with a whole bunch of new stuff, and he's got it going on. Their offense is terrible as well, too. He's not going to have some crazy good coordinator there on the offensive side to help keep that side up. I, I think Patriots might be looking for them will pick next year if they don't hit on something crazy this year. Number six. Number six, I do have Antonio Pierce here. He is very well respected amongst the players, but the inexperience bothers me a little bit. Uh, definitely a boomer bust in my eyes. Yeah, I went with a bit of a shocker in my number six spot because I don't 100% dislike this hire. I just think it's a little quick. Uh, and that's Dave Canales. He very quickly went up one year of offensive coordinator right into a head coaching job. Sometimes it works out perfectly. Sometimes it works out terribly. He's got a terrible roster. He's got a quarterback that just had a broken first year in Bryce Young. I know he's going to have some leeway. Like we said, a six-year contract. I just don't think he's going to be the answer in Carolina, unfortunately. Number five. I do have Dave Canales right here, number five, right ahead of you. Uh, I agree with everything you said. The only difference here is Carolina already has the quarterback. That takes so much pressure off of him. I think that even with a terrible roster, you just had to get someone who understands what Bryce Young is going through. Yeah, but they don't have any pick. Anyways, my number five is going to be where I put Brian Callahan. I I don't mind this hire. I think it's a, a good fit for, for Tennessee. I still think Rabel probably should have been the guy that's still there. I think it's going to take a year or two for him to adjust this offense into what it should be. I think that we're going to see a lot of remodeling in the way that we saw a lot of ground and pound of Tennessee these past, you know, five to eight years of Derrick Henry. Now we're going to see a bit more, I wouldn't say air raid type style, but more the offense that we see with Joe Burrow. And I think, I think Callahan's got a lot of trust in Will Levis for that as well, too. I think they're, they're going to bounce back to the playoffs within a couple of years, but I don't expect to see it overnight next year, Titans in the, the playoffs or anything like that. I think it's going to take a year or two. Now, Skyler, who's your number four? Number four, Raheem Morris to Atlanta. Loved by the players, just like Antonio Pierce. Um, maybe even more. We saw even some guys who are, are no longer, you know, playing for him, coming out and saying stuff. But he's just got a little more experience. That's all. I think uh, four, five, six, pretty close uh, in my eyes, even though they're a couple numbers apart in the ranking. Yeah, uh, maybe a bit of bias for me, but I put AP in the four spot, Antonio Pierce. I uh, I get exactly what you're saying by the inexperience and, you know, going from high school to college to linebacker coach last year to interim head coach this year and then head coach next year is a pretty quick jump. But if there's one of the few dudes that I think can handle it, I think it's Antonio Pierce. He's been on great teams as a player, went to the Super Bowl, been a pro bowler and he's only went over the locker room. He's not going into a new place where he, you know, some guys might feel a bit timid in the way of how do you act with all these egos around you? 
he knows exactly how to act. And he's got every single player to buy in. And the way that I watched this team the last nine weeks under AP was something I haven't felt in a long time as a Raider fan. So I'm confident in him to get the job done. Uh, we'll just see how Luke Getzey calls plays on the offense. Sorry about that. Number three. Number three, I have Mike McDonald. Um, another guy we just talked a lot about. He's very young. Everywhere he went was the number one defense, Georgia, Michigan, Baltimore. They just got to find a quarterback. That's uh, that's number one. Yeah. My number three is going to be Raheem Morris. I, I was a huge fan of this guy back in 2020 when he was the interim head coach for the Falcons. I thought he should have gotten the job the year after that, which looking back, he probably should have instead of Arthur Smith, but got it now that's fine uh he's got a ton of experience been with the rams of the dc been as the falcons done everything for them offensive and defensive side of the ball uh was with the washington redskins when they were called that and obviously was on that crazy coaching tree was the head coach of the buccaneers for three years in 09 to 11 so he's had you know 12 to 15 years to and, and learn from his first stint as a head coach and I think a lot of players love him. Uh, he he's, was there for you know some of the defensive guys on, on that team back in 2020. And so I think a lot of those guys are going to say, hey, this, you better buy in. This motherfucker knows his shit. But uh, offense is an eye of the ball. I, I forget who they've hired as an offensive coordinator, if they've hired anyone quite yet. But that's what it's going to come down to, to be honest. I think he got picked up by somebody, I think. Who their offensive coordinator? The old, the old Atlanta uh, play caller. Well, was Arthur Smith went to uh, Pittsburgh? Maybe as a uh, quarterback coach. Anyway, that's we'll talk about that for our preseason. Oh wait, they they got uh, Zach Robinson. Yes, yes, yes. The game coordinator for the Rams last few years, so probably got some good stuff on offense coming as well too. Yeah, number two. Number two, I have Brian Callahan of the Titans. Okay, his first move was bringing in, bringing in a new O-line coach. That's his dad, Bill Callahan, former Raider coach. Mm-hmm. And that told me everything I need to know. It, they're going to try to build the offense the way that those guys see it in their head. You know, it's the air raid with also not losing the identity of the ground and pound. So I, I was cracking up trying to keep it inside when you mentioned both of the the systems, because I really do think they're going to try to put them together and mm-hmm. uh, and not forget about the run game, even though with Burrow, they would throw the ball 50 times a game. So yeah. I, I yeah. love this. It may take a while, but the offense should be good. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Number two for me is going to be Mike McDonald. I talked about this earlier. I'm not going to you know restate a lot of stuff that I said, but the defensive guy who is going into a system or to a team that has a lot, a ton of young defensive talent, I think he's going to capitalize on that. And they got some good players on offense as well, too. So I like what he's doing. Uh, and I like what Seattle's doing. And then uh, number one. That's Jimbo. Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. going to the Chargers. Um, when he was hired, we talked about it uh, for a while, actually. And – 
I haven't changed my opinion, man. This is like the first college coach coming over since Pete Carroll or Jimmy Johnson, where you, you go, yep, that guy's got a chip on his shoulder and he is not going to give up until he goes back to the Super Bowl. And I love it. I, I'm sorry for you. Um, but it's not it's not a guarantee. It's just a kind of the perfect situation for him. They got a quarterback who's great. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh is one guy. That's pretty easy. 44-19-1 in his four years as the Niners head coach in 2011-2014. Obviously went to the Super Bowl, lost that Super Bowl. Went to Michigan, won the Natty this past year. Do you think he wins that Super Bowl back in 2012 or whatever year it was? Do you think he, he just retires after the Natty? Or do you think he... That's tough. You know, the Kaepernick stuff happened right after this, too. Maybe uh, it would have happened either way because they kind of had to rebuild it. So I was thinking that's probably the only reason why he's going to the NFL is he wants to get a Super Bowl and he wants to compete with his brother. Yeah. Past that, I, mean, I don't think he's going to be guys there for 20 years or anything like that. He's also pretty damn old, too. So it's not like he's, you know, the youngest guy in the league or anything like that. But See if they win a ring within two years, I think he's out. Uh, do they win a ring in two years? Hell no. That's no. not going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's one he, he already brought in his defensive coordinator from Michigan. He brought in Greg Roman, who was skeptical in Baltimore the last few years that he was there, but has worked with Harbaugh in the past, so I'm sure that they'll be just fine there. And uh, the Chargers... And Justin Herbert are, are going to be pretty happy with, with this guy for sure. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So uh, I originally had uh, winners and losers for the, the senior bowl, but I, I changed my mind. We're only doing winners today. That's that's BS. They got more time to, to make up their draft stock. They're going to go run at the combine in front of millions of people. And that's going to be pretty nuts. But we'll talk about some winners from a couple positions because there are some. I didn't get to watch the game live, but the practices are just as important during the Senior Bowl. So we'll start off with Bo Nix. He's my big winner for the quarterback position. He looked much more comfortable than Michael Penix did the whole week. The mobility and the quick release should transfer over to today's NFL, and I I think that's going to get him in the first round, which uh, would be crazy. I'm not going to lie. Don't don't, uh, think I don't understand that, but... Quarterback's a very popular position. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so receiver here, I got an interesting one for you. My winner for the week, Luke McCaffrey from Rice. He just moved to receiver from quarterback. I'm sure that that experiment and being at a small school like Rice made NFL teams skeptical, but he had a great week. He was toasting guys all week long. And, uh, you know, obviously he's a great athlete. He comes from the McCaffrey family, right? O-line, it's always a big week for the O-line at the Senior Bowl, probably the biggest, because you can actually see in person, oh, this guy can actually move at 300 pounds plus. He can move like a pro. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to list off a couple. We got Taliese Fuaga, right tackle from Oregon State. And by the way, these are all the guys who have bumped themselves up into first-round mentions. Uh, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, the former tight end turned tackle. Jordan Morgan. Arizona's left tackle. Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from Oregon. He's the best center in the class. And Christian Haynes, the guard from UConn. There's always one of them. Always one of those FCS guys. Plays guard. Goes pretty high. Um, A couple more guys here. 
My big edge winner was Laatu Latu from UCLA. Everyone knew he was a freak, but how injured was he? He's got a giant medical history, and he was ripping dudes off with a spin move all week long. And my last winner, it's a, a funny one here, Quinion Mitchell, the corner from Toledo. Because we joked about him a couple months ago, like, oh, imagine if the Raiders drafted a corner from Toledo. And then you actually see him in person, and you realize he's got the wingspan of a power forward. This guy's going in the first round. There's another guy like that, TJ Tampa from uh, Iowa State. He wasn't at the Senior Bowl, but it's, it's a similar story. You're like, why Why does everyone have this guy going so high? You know, he's, he played in the Big 12. They don't play defense. You go, oh, my God, his, his arms are, you know, longer than soft fucking gardeners. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the senior bowl wrap up. It's an awesome week. I uh, you know want to avoid losers for now. Draft season, baby. Here we go. Yeah, Skyler got to nerd out about the senior bowl. I get to nerd out about the MLB moves that we saw this past week. We saw a lot of big moves. I would say big moves. We saw a couple big moves, but we saw a lot of under the radar moves this past week. And I'll get right into them. Starting with the moves that we saw on January thirty first, the last day of the first month of the year. Starting off with Wandy Peralta sending a four-year deal with the San Diego Padres. I believe there's an opt-out after every single year of this deal. So pretty interesting uh, contractual you know, structure there. But a guy who's been a good left-hander for the Yankees and the Giants over the past you know, three to four years at this point. So I like this signing for the Padres. On, or He is 32 years old, so it will take him through age 36 season. I don't know how effective he'll be at 36, but I assume he's not. Uh, Smith and Jigba, brother of Jackson Smith and Jigba, designated for assignment. He's trash, so unfortunately there is that. Uh, There was a sleeper move by some people. Some people really like this move. I'm not a huge fan of it. I'll explain why. Trey Cabbage got traded from the Angels to the Astros after being, I want to say, DFA'd or optioned over this past week. A lot of people are, or I would say a lot of people, because there's just not a lot of people that talk about this, but he was like 30-30 in the minors last year. He's a 27-year-old outfielder. However, I'm not a huge fan of it, because he came up with the Angels last year and just swung and missed at everything. Uh, so I don't think he's going to have any MLB impact, but since he's on the Astros, maybe he does now. Moving on to February 1st, we got a big trade. That resulted in Corbin Burns going to the Baltimore Orioles for D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and a first-round pick, pick number 34 in the 2024 MLB draft. That's a comp pick. That's why they're allowed to trade it. One year. Corbin Burns. He already said on, I want to say, A.J. Pruszynski's podcast that he's really interested in testing out free agency. Obviously, if something happens this first year where he falls in love with Baltimore, they offer yeah. him some crazy contract. He'll likely stay. But Baltimore, even with the new ownership, probably won't have Corbin Burns money quite yet. Uh, and they'll probably just have to hold on to him for this one year and then get rid of him after that. Or not get rid of him, but he'll walk away after that. D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, start off at the lefty D.L. Hall, a guy who's a flamethrower, used to be a top prospect as a starter, moved to reliever, has had some good moments in the pen these past two years. Great stuff. I'm pretty sure the Milwaukee Brewers said that they want to use him as a starter. Hopefully they do because that would fill in pretty nicely and be a good return there. Joey Ortiz, 25-year-old shortstop who was a top 100 prospect these last few years. 
came up to the big league just past year, did not produce for jack shit, got sent back down even with Jorge Mateo still being in the big leagues, who didn't do anything past April. So that kind of tells you about Jory Ortiz's current production at the MLB level. This doesn't really make sense for them either because they have Willie Adames. This trade also sparked rumors that Adames is going to be moved, who's on his last year of his deal. So maybe they do that. Maybe they want to go younger. Although trading guys with one year left on their deal is usually not, not the right way to go about it, in my opinion. I think if you have one more year and you have the chance to be competitive, just go ahead and compete. Anyway, moving on to January 2nd, we saw a small trade between the A's and the Giants. Ross Stripling going to the A's for Jonah Cox. Jonah Cox, I want to say we drafted last year or the year before that, was in low A, high A. I was a big fan of him, although he wasn't anything crazy, to be honest with you. 22-year-old in low A, high A, how, how much stock can you put in that? Ross Stripling, probably going to be a starter for us, which is kind of cool. But uh, as a guy who I guess is pretty outspoken about what to do in baseball as far as spending money, I don't think he's going to be a huge fan of being an A. We'll likely move him in July or June once the trade deadline hits. The Mets signed a couple of relievers, left-hander and right-hander, both former A's. First one being Shintaro Fujinami, flamethrower who pitched for the A's and the Orioles last year. We saw him have some good moments in Baltimore and some good moments towards the end of his tenure with the A's. Ridiculous stuff, throws hard, could be good for the New York Mets. And then Jake Diekman, who had a stand with the A's as well, too, signed a one-year deal with the New York Mets. 37-year-old lefty who's been a journeyman for the last, you know, 10 years of his career. Could be solid middle relief guy. They signed Carlos Santana to a one-year deal, 38-year-old first baseman who's been in the league for 15 years now at this point. Still produces quite a bit. He's going to be right around league average, maybe a bit under, a bit over. I don't mind it for Minnesota. I think it adds a bit of utility for them. Moving on to February 3rd, we actually saw a trade that kind of got me fired up. It was Gregory Santos going to the Seattle Mariners for Zach Deloche and Freelander Boa, or Freelander Baroa. Sorry, tough name to say. Roa is more of a high-tier prospect for the Mariners. Goes to the White Sox. He's a pitcher, 24 years old. Had a very small cup of coffee in big leagues last year. Got some pretty electric stuff. He'll probably, I don't know if he'll be a starter right away, but that's probably what the idea is for the White Sox. Zach Deloche, I don't know anything about him. 25-year-old outfielder. I assume he's pretty close to be ready. Gregory Santos, I don't know why the fuck the White Sox traded this. Maybe it's because they got Baroa back, but Gregory Santos has electric stuff. 102, 103, back of the bullpen type arm, only 24 years old. I believe he has five years left of service time before he even gets to free agency. Wow, White Sox. I think this guy could have been your closer for years. Wow. Anyways, they don't go that way. White Sox also made another move. Uh, Dominic Fletcher for... Christian Mena. I'm not too familiar with Mena. Uh, he's a starting pitcher, 21 years old in the minors, but this move was really to get Dominic Fletcher a spot in the big leagues because he's like the fourth, fifth outfielder for that Arizona team. Now he goes to the White Sox and probably will play damn near every day. Moving on to the fifth. Sorry, a ton of just stuff I want to talk about, unfortunately, with this. That's why it's taking so long. But the fifth, we had... 
and a one-year deal with Milwaukee, which is $7 million. It's a decent arm, middle-of-the-rotation type guy for them. Ryan Brazier signed a two-year deal with the Dodgers. Good bullpen arm, good signing by um, uh, Bobby Winston. His contract that day. Josh Harrison signed a minor league deal with the Cincinnati Reds. These guys have had, obviously, a good amount of impact with the ton of different teams throughout his career and now gets perhaps a shot in Cincinnati to be the 26th type guy on that roster. And then today we had a ton of arbitration cases won uh, by Clayton, or not Clayton Kershaw, Taylor Ward, Mauricio Dubon, Austin Hayes. Clayton Kershaw agreed to a one-year deal. Austin Adams got designated by assignment. I read that wrong. I'd love to talk about Bill Bickford, who signed a one-year deal with the Mets winning his arbitration case. And then we saw Jose Altuve sign a five-year extension back with the season there through 2029. That's his season. The contract money goes $30 million in 2025, 30 million in 2026 and 27 25 million in 2028 i want to say and then 10 million in 2029 so uh, jose altuve will likely be an astro for the entirety of his career unless yeah uh, man's a trade age 39 and the astro suck but uh rare instance where you're gonna see a guy who plays his entire career for one team and yet was an AL All-Star and an NL All-Star. That's pretty damn cool. That's pretty cool. And he did himself to an MVP. But those are my good moves for the week. Very nice. Moving on to our layups and bull predictions to get on out of here, running out the episode. Another fucking rough week for us. I had Denver slash OK. OKC over 229 and a half. That did not happen, unfortunately. Skyler had Indianapolis, not Indianapolis, Indiana and Sacramento over 248 on Friday. That did happen. Way Congratulations, over. Skyler. This week, I have Kansas City plus two. I picked them to win, so I'm going to take the spread as my clip. So basically this entire week, all my friends who do a lot of sports betting have been asking me, what's the one thing, you know, come on, I need help. What's the one thing that's not going to miss that I can, you know, steal some extra, extra odds on. That's a Christian McCaffrey, anytime touchdown. We've mentioned it many times today. If San Francisco wins the Super Bowl, it's most likely going to be because of this guy. Last week, bowl predictions, I had Houston over the New Orleans Pelicans. I believe that's only like a two or three point spread, so it wasn't that bold, but I still got it wrong. Skyler had Denver money line at OKC on Wednesday. That was no Jokic, unfortunately, so not bold for Skyler. This week, I went really bold. Uh, I think Kadarius, Tony, or Sky Moore touchdown. Last year, we saw Kansas City have back to back touchdowns out of nowhere, one of them with Kadarius, Tony. I wouldn't be shocked if he does play that they get him the ball in the red zone just because it would be so unexpected. And he's a pretty damn good playmaker in there. So I believe Canary Sony's plus 500 on Bliff and Skymore's plus 850 or something like that. Mm. That's like four. So okay. That would be like a plus 400 type thing. Yeah. So this season on our uh, our spreadsheet of picks, there's been a couple of times where I've nailed the score prediction on a primetime game. So I'm going to stick with that. 
I have a, a pretty uh, pro-style score here, 27-24 San Francisco. So the odds aren't ridiculous. But if you think you're onto something, if you really think they're going to take their field goals, not go for two, not do anything weird like safeties or, uh, you know, uh, anything. One-point safeties. <laughs> exactly. That plus 2,500 is not a bad option. And even crazier yeah. for your score prediction, I'm sure, too. Results and missed extra point or something like that, which wouldn't be too shocking. Or going for two and not getting it. Anyways, maybe that's how the score prediction gets there. Maybe the Niners go for two to win the Super Bowl. Maybe a holding call. And then they go for kick the field goal or the extra point and they miss. I don't know. That'd be Anyways. hilarious. Thank you, Ronda, episode 178. Yeah. Uh, did you know that Jason Brownlee has a brother who plays corner? Who lit it up in the Senior Bowl? Look for him round six and seven, baby, from Southern Miss. Jarvis Brownlee. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought we'd get fucking Brownlee lore. I think that would happen on the podcast, even though I'm pretty sure you've talked about Brownlee before. Yeah. Yeah, those are my closing remarks. <laughs> That's going to end it for episode 178. Yeah. In his third ring, or will it be Mr. Relevant in his first ring? We'll have an uh, awkward conversation about Brock Purdy's legacy if that does happen next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is Patrick Mahomes really the GOAT if he loses to the last overall pick? It's a tough one. But we'll make sure to break it all down for you next week if it goes down next Tuesday for 179. Let's just have a great game, man. Another great game. No blowouts. I'm excited. We'll see you next week, Al. Later.